And our first reading comes to us from the 64th chapter of Isaiah, beginning with the first verse. Isaiah writes, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continue to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sin sweeps us away. No one calls on your, not, on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and made us waste away because of our sins. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the works of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. O look upon us, we pray, for we are all your people. This is the word of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I want you to think back with me to the time when the children of Israel were in slaves in Egypt. They were oppressed, they were weak, they were helpless. But God had promised that he would not only rescue them, but that he would lead them to a land of their own. And in time, God raised up leaders like Moses and Aaron, who in miraculous and surprising ways led God's people out of Egypt. And then as they, as they journeyed through the desert, through the wilderness, God continued to care and provide for his people. He sustained them with food and with water. He enabled them to overcome difficult situations. Unfortunately, God's people had a history. And it was, it was a history that had a way of repeating itself over and over again. It was a history that was marked by faithlessness. During their journey to the promised land, the children of Israel were slow to trust in the Lord. They gave no credence to God's promises. Instead, they complained, they, they rebelled, they, they disobeyed. But my friends, God also had a history with them. And his history was marked by faithfulness. He continued to extend his grace to his people throughout their 40-year journey. Despite their rebellion, their disobedience, their faithlessness, God remained steadfast and faithful to them. And in time, God kept his promises that he had made in accordance with the covenant that he had established with their forefather, Abraham. And in summary of it all, of all that Almighty God had done for the Israelites, Scripture records this. So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their forefathers, and they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their forefathers. 
Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord handed their enemies over to them. Not one of all of the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Well, now I want you to fast forward with me to the time of Isaiah the prophet. Because you see, history was repeating itself again for the children of Israel. The Babylonian army had had come in and demolished the city of Jerusalem. God's people of Judah were were marched from their homes and families and, and held in captivity in a foreign land. And there they were again oppressed, weak, and helpless. And the longer they went into this 70-year captivity, the more they struggled in their faith in God and trusting in His promises. It is into this situation that the prophet Isaiah was called to minister. And here in, in the closing portion of what we know as the book of Isaiah, he writes as if that Babylonian exile were almost over. And here in our text, he offers up one of the greatest prayers recorded in all of the pages of Holy Scripture. It is a prayer for divine intervention on behalf of God's people. You see, to the people of God by this time, it seemed as if the Almighty God had withdrawn himself from them. In fact, the way Isaiah words it, it is as if God had had spread out this impenetrable blanket across the heavens and hidden himself from his children. And there were those who were still faithful in Babylon who longed for God to reveal himself and act mightily on behalf of his people. Thus we find Isaiah praying, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down that the mountains would tremble before you. In other words, God, we need you. And we need you in a mighty way. We need you now. Tear open the heavens. Step down into our pain. Enter our disappointment, our displacement, our disillusionment. Come down and make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. Now, let me ask you, humble though this prayer might be, do you find this to be a rather bold request on Isaiah's part? Absolutely. But at the same time, was it a request that was out of the question, that was out of the ordinary? Absolutely not. You see, as we already noted, God has a history. At numerous times in the past, God had acted on behalf of his people and revealed himself in numerous ways that were extraordinary, such as the exodus from Egypt, the crossing of the Red Sea, leading them through the wilderness with a pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night, what we refer to as the Shekinah. The smoke and the fire and the thunder and the quaking from Mount Sinai. Isaiah certainly had such moments in mind as he prays, for when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. 
Yes, God has a history. And so Isaiah boldly prays for God to continue in that history among his people. Isaiah prayed, since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. Yes, my friends, God had a wonderful history with his people a history of faithfulness. But let me ask, what about God's people? What about their history with God? Had they done anything to deserve God's faithfulness, to deserve God acting on their behalf? Well, at this time of the year, we're reminded of that jolly old fat man who who makes a list, who's naughty, And who's nice? And then he checks it twice before giving out presents. Let me ask, what if God kept a naughty list? Would the people of Isaiah's day be on that list? Well, Isaiah answers that question for us. He says, but when we continued to sin against your ways, you were angry. How then can we be saved? No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and made us waste away because of our sins. My friends, if God kept a naughty list, would our names be on it? Would your name, would my name, Well, the psalmist answers that question for us in Psalm 130, verse 3, where he writes, If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? Isaiah speaks for us all, whether we're ready to admit it or not. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags, We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the winds, our sins sweep us away. Which means, what do we really deserve from God? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And that's a hard truth for us to consider. But a further hard truth is that if God were to deal with us in accordance with what our sins do deserve, then he would be right and just to do so. Indeed, we deserve nothing but God's wrath and everlasting condemnation. Which brings us back to Isaiah. How is it in this moment that he dare think, let alone pray, for God to act on behalf of his people. And how dare we think, let alone pray the same? Well, here is where Isaiah does a wonderful thing for you, for me, for God's people, even back then. He directs our attention off of ourselves and onto the greatest truth of all when he says, Yet, O Lord, 
You are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Through the early years of my son's lives as we would ready them for bed, I would often engage in a playful moment uh, with them that would typically end with me saying, I've got a secret for you. And then to each one of them, I would whisper in their ears and say, I love you no matter what. And I did this intentionally because I knew that down the road there would come times when my boys would do things that would not only disappoint me but might even uh, upset me. But no matter what they might do, I wanted my boys to always know, to always be assured of two things about me. The first one is that I will always be their dad. And that secondly, there is nothing that they could ever do that would ever change that truth about me or affect my love for them. That, my friends, is the very assurance that prompts Isaiah in this prayer to ask God to act on behalf of his people as he had done in the past. Yes, despite their disobedience, despite their rebellion, despite their history of faithlessness, yet God was still their father and he would always love them and Isaiah knew that. Like a potter forming clay, he would not cast his people off at the first sign of a flaw, but exercise patience as he would continue to mold and shape them more and more as his own dear children. And so the psalmist in Psalm 130 goes on to write, With you there is forgiveness. And so Isaiah goes on to pray, do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look upon us, we pray, for we are all your people. My friends, God's long history of forgiveness began when sin first entered into the world. It began when our Heavenly Father made a promise to our first parents and to us all, that one day he would send a Savior who would deliver us from our sin and its consequences. That one day he would send a Savior who would restore us in our relationship with him. And that is why the birth of a baby boy born in Bethlehem is so precious to you and to me. And that is why the season of Advent in which we now find ourselves is such a wonderful time for us to be reminded anew that even though you and I do have our own histories of faithlessness before our good and gracious God, yet His history of steadfastness and faithfulness to us not only remains, but it continues and proof of that to you and me is Jesus' willingness to not only take on human flesh as a baby and be born in Bethlehem, but especially in his willingness to go to the cross of Calvary for you and for me. 
I like the way the Apostle Paul frames it because he frames it so well when he writes, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. My dear friends, consider this. What we did not deserve, we have received. For he who promised is faithful. And because God has a history, you and I now have a future, a glorious future, as we await the coming of the promise of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding May it keep your hearts and your minds through your faith in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.